This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. My name is Mahmoud Aram. I'm co-founder and CTO at Bluecore. And what I love about retail is the act of discovery. Whether that is discovering highly technical products, I am into woodworking, and there's a lot of discovery there, or in the world of fashion, where I find that to be an outlet of creativity and imagination. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Retail is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and I'm just tickle pink. I, I tickle pink. I'm just going to just state it out publicly. I'm tickle pink to be here with Rebecca Fitz. How are you? How are you, Rebecca? <laughs> I am well. Uh, also tickled to be here. Uh, lovely Maybe I should to be tickled you, gold because you're a gold star shopper. See what I did uh, there? there? You did. You did. I'm sure we'll talk about that. <laughs> All right. You're doing good? You're, you're, everything's good in your world? I am great. Thank you. Good. I have to share with you before we get to our guest a uh, a an experience my wife literally just told me. I thought you would appreciate it. And it has to do with our good friend that we all respect, Walmart. Um, but she wanted to buy grape nuts, the cereal grape nuts. Although she could purchase it online, they would not ship it with the rest of the order that she wanted to buy of other cereals. Also, by the way, the only thing they wouldn't ship was the grape nuts. She would have to come to the store to pick up the grape nuts. So she decided to cancel the entire order. Because the primary reason she'd even gone to make the order was to order the grape nuts, and then the other stuff was an afterthought. Now, the closest Walmart to us is across the Hudson River, I believe. It's it's a little it's not easy for us to get to. So it's actually a bit of friction for us to go pick something up in the store. And because of that policy, Walmart, I'm sure they will survive it, but they lost a sale. Um, and they affected her perception of Walmart. As it became a negative consumer experience because they wouldn't even say to ship this will be an additional cost. They just wouldn't do it. So I don't know what the logistics behind why that is. Maybe it's coming from some other location or whatever. But but that that seems like a really great illustration to me of how poor logistics or poor customer experience in the way those logistics are presented could actually uh, result in lost sales. So interesting. I have not heard <laughs> about grape nuts in a very long time, but I, I am a, I am a fan uh, that I couldn't get that out of my mind. I'm sorry, but um, I, I do the same thing. Um, it would be very interesting to hear what the explanation of why the grape I, nuts couldn't be included any which way, because as we all know, Walmart is, um, you know, it's a, it's an arm ra- arms race to yeah. uh, who can get the combination right on getting you everything you want when you want it. So, well, if you are in our listening audience and you have some explanation, maybe our guests will have an explanation. I don't know. But if you have an explanation that you would like to offer, we would love to hear from you. And you can reach us either on Instagram or Facebook at Mouth Media Network. You can DM us or you can reach out by email at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. And if we hear from somebody, we'll uh, 
we may we may even share that answer uh, with appropriate uh, credit on on a future episode of the show. Um, in any event, maybe it is time for us to uh, to. Oh, by the way, speaking of grape nuts, before I bring in our guest, I, I have to just mention. I don't know if you said you haven't heard about grape nuts in a long time, but actually, there was recently a big vacuum of grape nuts in the world because of a supply issue for. The uh, and there, there's a very specialized machinery, patented machinery that makes grape nuts. So there was a su- supply issue getting the, as I understand it, whatever you make grape nuts from, to where those machines are, and so therefore, no stores had them, and they were all on back order for a period of time, and it like made news. Now that there is grape nuts, people like us. My wife and I are trying to stockpile to avoid such a situation again. So ah, there we go. Came full circle there. It is. Anyway, all right. Enough time has elapsed here where it's about time we bring our guest into the conversation who's been so patiently standing by with our silliness. It's Mahmoud Aram, uh, the CTO and co-founder of Blue Corps. I'm so happy to have you here, Mahmoud. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you for having me on the show, Mark and Rebecca. So before we continue, do you have do you want to weigh in on that? Do you have any insights to offer? Uh, not to put you on the spot, but I. Well, the one insight that I would have is that uh, pre-pandemic, uh, we had an office in um, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan uh, earlier in our life uh, as a company, and we had stocked grape nuts as a favorite breakfast cereal and food <laughs> uh, for all of the early employees and founders at Blue Core. Um, I don't know exactly what the rationale for Walmart would be. I suspect it has to do with the availability of inventory uh, and and the supply chain problems, which can be quite complex. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, thank you very much for that input. So let's let's start with uh, what Blue Core is. Maybe let's start with that. We don't usually start with uh, with that in our interviews. We tend to jump in the middle of the pool and swim back. But I'd love for you to kind of unpack what Blue Core actually is and why right now um, people within the retail scene ought to be thinking about Blue Core. Right. So Blue Core is a B2B SaaS, software as a service, where our customers are brands and retailers that sell things online. Um, e-commerce has accelerated in growth, has been accelerating in growth for the last few years, and obviously has the, the growth has been fueled by the pandemic as well. Uh, it used to be that a lot of retailers would be brick and mortar primarily, and then they would have an e-commerce operation attached to it. I think there there is a shift now where um, a lot of the brands and retailers are becoming online and e-commerce operations first, and then they have a store operation that is attached to it. And you see a shift in leadership um, and spend patterns as well. So what we do is we provide uh, marketing automation tools only for brands and retailers. Um, and um, this is all of our um, artificial intelligence and machine learning models are all specifically tuned for uh, e-commerce. Um, and that is the vertical that we uh, that we serve exclusively. You know, if you look on the Blue Core webs- or website, one of the things that it says is that Blue Core is a retail marketing technology, as you mentioned, but what it says is that it reimagines how retailers communicate with their customers. So my question is, what's wrong with the way that retailers have been communicating with their customers that needs reimagining? Now, I don't mean to ask a, 
a dumb, naive question, but I want to know how Blue Core and yourself is looking at that. Why, at this point in time, basically the message is you've been doing it all wrong. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so the way communications have been working uh, between brands and their customers, and I want to think about existing customers um, for a second, uh, rather than acquisition or acquiring new customers to your business. The way it, the primary channel for communication has been uh, email, and it has been uh, essentially static batch and blast email. Uh, some of our customers actually call it Chuck and Duck email. What that means is. Um, you know, they spent a lot of money to acquire you as a customer. You've seen the highly personalized ads on Instagram, and then you go to the site and you perhaps make a purchase. But then after that, the only communications you're getting are these emails that aren't personalized um, and are, aren't are really catered to uh, your needs, especially if the catalog is is really large. Uh, so uh, the, 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 the performance of the email channel primarily ends up getting greatly diminished. And the way to overcome that is to offer discounts. So that's why you have 40% off coupons from a lot of the uh, sort of uh, uh, mass brands uh, in your current inbox. Um, and that's how it works. Um, what Bluecore does is it creates uh, scalable, highly personalized messaging in the email channel primarily, and in other one-to-one -one communication channels between brands and retailers and their end cons consumers, their shoppers. Where do you think storytelling enters into this versus just flat messaging? I, I am, I've said this on a few of, of our shows, but I, I am a huge proponent of the idea that you cannot sell something without there being a story told in some way, even if it's a brief, small story snippet. Something has to be like, you know, if you wash your hair with this shampoo, it will be healthier. And implied in that is a story of what my life will be like when my hair is healthier. You know, there was the story that I washed my hair and I saw it be healthier. That's all implied in that story. So my question is, is how, how does your company think about and communicate with your clients where where and how storytelling enters enters into the messaging and the different ways to deploy stories given you know innovation that exists now yeah that that's really interesting i think um i tell you where storytelling perhaps doesn't apply which is when you exactly know what you want and say it's grape nuts and it's very utilitarian and you go okay. to walmart or say um amazon and you know exactly what you order and maybe you do order a few other okay, uh, things on on the way out that's uh, fair. where you, you, sorry to interrupt, but you mean like, sorry, we are out of grape nuts. Do you want to order something else as a basic information message without a story behind it? Exactly. But essentially you're going in knowing there's a premeditation of what exactly you want to buy rather than say like discovery. Um, so where storytelling becomes important is in, uh, is in things that are, uh, that, that sort of like add, uh, value either to the life of the customer or to their experience. Uh, so one of my favorite brands is REI. And if you think about REI, I, I like to think of myself as a, an aspiring outdoorsman, uh, although I don't get to do it as often. The interesting thing about REI is you go in and perhaps you don't know much about hiking or biking under the elements. And um, their employees have a lot of that knowledge and they are able to share it with you. And if you actually look at the interactions with them uh, via most of their communication channels, it is really a consultative sell. It is a story about um, 
if you want to get into the outdoors, they are actually sharing a lot more information and they just happen to sell products that help you get there. But it really is about the adventure and the brand is really all about that adventure and the story. And uh, it takes on a bit of a discovery uh, element or arc to it. You see that with a lot of other uh, a lot of other direct-to-consumer brands as well, and you see that with specialty stores. So where we help do that is actually surface the content that you have. Um, Nike is another really good example of that, where uh, they are pushing for essentially sports becoming a, um, a lifestyle. So it's less about shoes and specific products and more about sport in general as a lifestyle. So we help customers by helping them surface the content that they already have, and helping them weave that content into stories and vignettes of interactions with customers. That happens to be via the email channel primarily because email is extremely democratic. It's not controlled by, say, any one corporation. And as long as you play by the rules and provide value to customers, you will do really well. And we help them weave that content in other channels as well. Interesting. And, you know, I was just thinking about what you were saying um, and wondering if this was part of it, too. Um, and they're not doing as much. I'm not picking on them. I'm, I'm a customer, but not doing as much storytelling, probably in the other bucket, although they're adding a little twist. But, you know, J. Crew, and I get these enormous discounts. So and honestly, I will click through when I see 60 percent off or something like that. Um but they're kind of leading with the value as opposed to, and they try to sprinkle this in like uh, what to wear this weekend kind of thing. Um, but it seems like the value part of it is, is up there. And maybe that's kind of what not to do, I guess, um, as an example, um, a, a, as far as what you're telling, certainly compared to an REI or a Nike. Yeah. The, the problem with discounts is that it's the least common denominator, Right. When you need a push in revenue, uh, the sort of playbook is let's send a 30 or a 40% off to everyone. Uh, and certainly that could help from a revenue perspective, but perhaps uh, perhaps it sometimes dilutes the brand as well, right? If you are... Uh, if you're a brand that doesn't necessarily like offer discounts, they may that may dilute it, especially for customers who perhaps might have paid full price for this season's, say, um, outfits, etc. So uh, it, it is it's a bit of a tragedy because without personalization, without understanding that consumer, uh, what categories they have affinity towards, whether they have an affinity towards discounts or not, whether that affinity towards discounts is seasonal or not, without understanding that and being able to take action on it, uh, it becomes you are bound to do the least common denominator, which is the discounts. And we're, we're talking about a lot of folks right now who are a little bigger, who have stores. Um, so if email is one of your main communication sources as just a purely online brand and you don't have any physicality, um, the stakes, if you will, go up, 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 up and up. Um, so how are you treating uh, the two differently? So if you have a store versus uh, your you know, you're online and yeah, for the foreseeable future, you're staying online. Yeah, it's interesting. What we're seeing is that even the pure play or the direct to consumer digital brands are starting to have um, physical stores, right? Like uh, all birds used to be only online and now they have stores. Warby Parker has stores. Uh, even Amazon has bookstores now. Uh, so the, the, the companies that started in physical stores now have large e-commerce operations and vice versa. So it is 
um, important for any sort of technology that sells to retail to be able to bridge uh, online and offline da data. You may have noticed that when you actually go to a physical, to a retailer, to a store, they ask for an identifier. Usually it's either your email address or your phone number. And the idea is to then be able to bridge your transactions and your behavior across both channels in order to be able to provide you with an optimal customer service. So our technology and I think other providers in the space of retail are able to sort of do these multi-identities and merging of behavior between identifiers. You know, in the early days, it's funny, I just was having a conversation with someone about omni-channel and I was like, you know, we've, we've arrived now, the two are connected. It's no longer that you created one system and then another, um, yeah, the word omnichannel is always so interesting. Uh, it you know, in the it, it raises my technical spidey sense because uh, <laughs> you know when we say omnichannel, I mean it's not a million channels, right? Uh, it, it's really is it's in person in the store, it's email, and increasingly it is uh, you know sometimes SMS. In the US, it's SMS. It's other sort of like one to one uh, chat apps in the rest of the world. Uh, those are the ones that make sense that are actually two way right? Uh, there are advertising channels, etc. Uh, and I think those are less of an interactive one. Those are usually around, uh, those are less about retention and more about acquisition. So when I say, when I hear omni-channel, I'm like, well, there's only four or five, but um, <laughs> right. your, point, a, uh, your point stands. Right, right. And we had somebody come on who's like, it's just a unified channel. It's, it's, it's shopping, it's commerce, which I know other people have, have made that point before. Um, it is interesting um, with email just um, because it seems like it's one of these channels that I feel like is a little older um, and that it's it's connecting these these two worlds. Um, you um, I, I'm going to pivot here a little bit, but you created this D2C collective um, and I'm wondering from, you know, what what you do at your core um why did you decide to do the collective and how to how do the two kind of speak to each other right so um we uh, the interesting thing about uh the the dtc brands is that they were born digitally so they have had sort of like access to uh to technology uh, to bleeding edge technology much earlier than say existing retailers that have had to go through a digital transformation process and they are at varying sort of um, uh, uh, legs of that journey. So the D2C, the D2C uh, brands have a lot of tech, have a lot of data. And the question is, well, I have the tech and I have the data, what can I do with it? Uh, versus how do I get all of my data into one place so that I can do something else with it? So we recognized that and that their technology buying patterns are different and we wanted to be able to serve them better. It's just that their needs are a little bit different, right? Now, some of them have vast catalogs. Others are focused on niche. Their acquisition costs and ACVs are varying uh, wildly, say, compared to traditional retail. So their needs are different, which is why we wanted to have a collective uh, that is where membership is uh, is by some of our existing customers and other prospects and luminaries in the space. So this way we can learn together um, as to how to serve uh, consumers better and how to provide an elevated experience. Now, with a collective like this, in addition to being able to think through things, as the need for a solution gets sharper and sharper in identifying what that solution might be. So the group might together agree here is here is a significant challenge for us or a wish we could do this for us. 
the tool doesn't seem to exist precisely as we wish it would be. We, need, we have a lot of financial power at, at our disposal collectively, if not independently. Let's make that exist. Um, and if, if we don't share it with the world, let's just make sure that the, <laughs> the members of this clubhouse all get a, an opportunity to, to, to be a part of that. Uh, obviously working hand in hand with Blue Corps, I would imagine. So I guess my question is, is what kinds of things are the group thinking about beyond what you've said that are, geez, if I, if I had a, a lamp and I was a Latin and I could run the lamp, here's what I wish would appear before me as a, as an, as a new technical innovation, let's say, whether it's in, you know, omni-channel or whether it's in storytelling or whether it's in visualization or what have you. Any, any thoughts on? Yeah, Mark, that, that's a really interesting question. I think sometimes the answer to collective problems is technology, uh, but usually it's either one of people, process, or technology. So sometimes the discussions are around, um, well, you know, um, the way we used to do email used to be, say, uh, chalk and duck. Now it's very different. It's based on personalization. So the type of operators or the type of team that you need are the ones who are very uh, data-oriented, data-driven, are um, good with establishing KPIs, et cetera. So the discussions usually are around changes to process and changes to teams over time. Sometimes it is technology, and sometimes that falls within the wheelhouse of uh, the products that we build, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and uh, you know, we would happily share those ones. Um, one of my favorite product managers at Bluecore would always say, uh, "The art of product management is to say no mostly, uh, and yes sometimes." Uh, and you have to focus, especially in the B two B space, on building you know uh, solutions that service your customers. We chose a a vertical already, which is retail, but even within that, you have to be careful to solve problems, big problems for everyone, rather than a lot of small ones for, for subsets. Fascinating. Have you taken a look at StoryDot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell, and you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at StoryDot at storydot.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-D-O-T.com. You're focused on what goes on as far as e-commerce, but one of the things you mentioned is that um, retailers are certainly, or D2C brands are, for whatever reason, um, beginning to go into the physical world. Um, and just is that, you know, one of the reasons when I'm in the physical world and I have D2Cs that want to get in is that the expense of acquiring customers has gotten so high, i.e., email or some of the other channels that we've talked about. Um, and it's time to go into the physical space and certainly not the only reason. Um, and I don't know if you would put this in a box as a solution um, for brands, but curious on how, how those conversations go, particularly when the bread and butter for you is, is, is online, but certainly there's a place for email, even if you have a physical destination or not. 
Yeah, that's that's a really uh, interesting on uh, uh, observation, Rebecca. We uh, did notice, um, you know, there are a, a set of themes, and, and one of the themes that uh, that we've noticed, or the waves that we've noticed, is that customer acquisition online is getting to become really, really expensive. Uh, the economics of it are such that you have to retain you know, customers. A lot of these actually used to come from, you know, social games and talking about first day retention, etc. Uh, so the acquisition costs became so expensive that now retailers actually have to and brands have to think about retention It used to not be a problem because acquiring customers online um, is fairly low. Now there are a lot of brands that are say VC backed and are spending a lot of money in acquisition. So the costs of acquisition have gone up uh, in all of the channels on Facebook, on Google, inside of all of the walled gardens, etc. So you have to think of ways to retain your customers and be able to serve them for life and increase their lifetime value uh, and brand loyalty. And the way to do that is by focusing on the sort of like post sales uh, funnel and the post sales um, experience. So in some cases, this is why uh, people are opening up physical stores, because the cost of acquisition then becomes on par. This is why people are investing, a lot of brands are investing in in sort of um, retention technology, email being one, other sort of like owned media channels um, are, are other ways as well. Thinking about personalization, uh, making transactions available everywhere, you know, things like Apple Pay, for example, to remove even the friction of being able to purchase. Um, you know, you go to a Lululemon store, and when you purchase in the store, the purchase is linked with your online account. So you can actually see it in your purchase history, etc. These are interesting things that used to not be possible before. And I think some of that is driven by the availability of technology, and some of it is driven by the economics of acquisition costs. Yeah, someone who looks at rent every day, it's it's interesting that rent in Manhattan could possibly be um, less expensive <laughs> in consumer acquisition than than doing something online. But here here we sit. Um, and I picked a very expensive city, but it's it's that's always something that's very interesting to me. What do you think is the most exciting thing happening in the world of retail right now other than watching companies somehow still navigate through the pandemic in, in a successful and surprising way. Aside from that, what excites you as you look out at the frontier right now? And damn, that's interesting. Yeah, um, that, that's a good question, Mark. Um, I have to think about it, but here are some initial uh, impressions. Uh, what we're seeing is that um, now, all of a sudden, there are highly technical teams and CTO positions that are created within uh, brands and um, and retailers. You know, I was recently talking to uh, the CTO of Adorama, and they have a very uh, ambitious and, and very sort of like enlightened technology roadmap that used to not be the case. Uh, it used to be that uh, the focus was sort of like on CRM, the focus was on um, discounts uh, and merchandising. And now there is a huge focus and huge investments in, in on, on data, uh, data science, and CTOs. So lots of CTOs um, there. Uh, the other focus uh, these days has been on, uh, on sort of uh, looking at the internal data sets that 
that retailers and brands are creating and realizing that there is a wealth of data. You can use it to train models. You can use it in order to optimize merchandise, to optimize margins, and to also personalize user experience. Um, and that used to not be like the case. Part of it, again, is the availability of technology. And part of it is brands now seeing themselves as sort of, you know, um, part of a lifestyle rather than a transactional business, part of a, of a personal lifestyle rather than a transactional business. So I find that to be an exciting sort of like wave and change that leads to investments in technology and I think leads to much more interesting commerce. Um, other themes that we're seeing is that, you know, cloud computing is, is um, has been sort of like a wave for a long time. And now the economics are such that you can actually have public companies. You can become a public company servicing a uh, a specific vertical. It used to be that you would have to build a horizontal uh, technology in order for you to be able to like grow in order for it to be a company rather than a feature. And now you can actually have multiple companies that are that can possibly go public that are focused, say, on marketing automation for retail, that can focus on optimizing the return funnel, say, of, of retail, that can focus on loyalty solutions for retail. These are not niche applications anymore. It's such a growing business that you can support uh, you know, large investments in solving very specific problems within retail, and all of that investment is going to lead to a lot of innovation, a lot of breakthroughs uh, for retail specifically. You're seeing a lot of sort of marketing technology companies acquire e-commerce platforms, right? And sort of vice versa, where marketing uh, e-commerce platforms also acquiring marketing platforms. So there is a recognition of being able to go deep on a vertical, and that applies outside of retail as well, uh, that can only be good for our industry. Really interesting. Can you give me an example of platforms, a marketing buying or vice versa? I don't know all of the specifics. I may have to dig that up from our marketing team, but I, I see those either via conversations with our investors and, and we see those in, in, the, in the tech media as well. Mm -hmm. Really cool. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll wind out uh, this segment by asking, what do you think is the next chapter for BlueCore and how does it connect with what you believe the next chapter in retail to be? Right. At a, a couple of junctions in our life uh, as a company, we decided, you know, which end of the spectrum do we want to go on? Do we want to be an email company and say service lots of industries or do we want to be an e-commerce technology company and service e-commerce in multiple different fronts? So we're going, we've decided, we've always decided that we are going to double down on e-commerce. Um, there are lots of other interesting waves. I mean, the, the rise of Shopify and the growth of Shopify and sort of the long tail of, of retail has been really, really exciting, right? Um, that is a very growing segment, a lot of innovation and a lot of product innovation uh, that is happening. So BlueCore will continue to invest in retail, and we will continue to invest either in direct one-to-one -one communication channels where you can take the user experience across uh, multiple channels. I think, I think uh, retail is going to continue to become more personal. If you think about online shopping interfaces, they haven't really changed that much, uh, you know, since Amazon in the late '90s. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of other interesting ways to transact, a lot of other ways to browse, and a lot of other ways to experience products. And we will be along that journey and continue to to uh, to invest there, both in terms of uh, of uh, in terms of product and in terms of uh, process as well. Great. All right. It seems like a great point to uh, depart from BlueCore and 
Let's talk a little more Mahmoud with some personal questions right after this. Culture starts at the top and great customer experience, the only competitive strategy in today's world, is fueled by great leadership. We hear and read this every day, but many brands don't drive customer-first strategy. For those at the top who want to make that leap but don't know how, we'll learn from leaders who share what you must do to become customer-centric. I am Liliana Petrova, and this is The One Thing. The One Thing, Customer Experience from the Top, is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, Mahmoud, this is the uh, part of the show where Rebecca and I get very curious about Mahmoud Aram and uh, who he is as a human being. Uh, so I, I'm actually going to launch this one first, Rebecca, if that's okay with you. You know, before the show, I asked you about the pronunciation of your name. It was just, just, just because I always, anytime I see a name that I'm not hundred percent sure how it should be pronounced, I want to be respectful. So my question is because, because I care about someone's identity and, and they, they deserve the respect. So my question is, what is a part of your identity that, you may have actually never even really discussed, even with your colleagues at Blue Corps. They might be surprised to learn about you that you consider a piece of who you are, but it isn't something you usually talk publicly about, not because it's a secret, just because it doesn't really come up. But if we understood this about you, we, we, we might just have a little better idea of who Mahmoud is. Yeah, that's um, it's an interesting one. I, I have to think about it a little bit. I, I you know, I, I do have a peculiar sort of like origin story that that I can tell okay. you. Uh, usually, sure. it comes out at happy hours and, and other things. <laughs> well, I uh, see this is about a happy hour. So, <laughs> so um, I was born at a graduate student housing unit at the University of Michigan in the sort of like early eighties. Um, I was going to say, who was it? No. Right, um, <laughs> in a different so, way, um, I guess. Uh, my parents came to the U.S. on a on a scholarship to the School of Public Health at the University of Michigan in the early mm -hmm. '80s. Um, there was uh, lots of uh, scholarships, you know, awarded by the U.S. government to Egypt um, in the '60s, '70s, and early '80s. So I happened to be born there. So one out of five children, I was um, I was technically a U.S. citizen, except that I grew up abroad until it was time to go to college. So I came here at 17, speaking very little English at the time. Technically a U.S. citizen, but applied to colleges as an international student. Couldn't get into English 101. I had to take what is called English 099, um, which is, which is, um, which is <laughs> um, I think, even below ESL um, um, in terms of, uh, of sort of like background and proficiency. So uh, that's what happened. I came to college in 1999. That's actually when I met Faiz, who's my co-founder and CEO of Blue Corps. Um, and... I've spent the last, say, 21 years here, uh, the last 10 years in New York City, and uh, and I consider myself a New Yorker now for life. Amazing, amazing. I, I love, I always love the origin stories, by the way, because they're nothing what you um, think they would be. And I don't know, I don't know if I have anyone that I know who was born on a college campus. So I love right. that. 
And now I have uh, three children. I would like to think of them as they are half Egyptian, half South Carolinian. Uh, very, very interesting mix. Very interesting. Um, okay, I got a, a very light one. I happen to reside on the Lower East Side, and I don't know very many brands that have offices down here. So um, how did you choose the Lower East Side for an office? And do you still have it? Oh, interesting. No, we don't. Unfortunately, we outgrew it. So um, about a couple of years ago, we had moved out. So it used to be at the corner of Rivington and Essex. Uh, I think now it is part of uh, uh, the Essex, which I, I believe is a restaurant. I haven't been there since um, since the pandemic. Uh, but we used to have a street level entrance. And we would say that we are the largest startup on the Lower East Side. I think there weren't that many of them. So a street level entrance, um, it was a very peculiar setup, uh, but it was ours. Uh, when we had started, um, we had shared office space with a larger company. When we were four people, we moved out when we were 25. That's when we moved to the Lower East Side. Um, lots of chaos and construction that was happening mid-coding sessions. Uh, and we were there until we were about um, maybe 150 people uh, or so. We were able to expand within it. So it was four or five different floors, very sort of like funky feel to it. Um, and then we grew uh, up. Uh, uh, to a to a size where we had to move to sort of like more, you know, grown up parts of of uh, Manhattan and move to uh, to lower <laughs> midtown, Manhattan, right? To, to yeah, financial, lower. Oh, well, gotcha. uh, fi financial financial district. Well, yeah, and I was. imagine, yeah, when you were here, that um, one rents were good because it was a little funky. It's interesting. The neighborhood still, I think, there's more now offices. There's a yard. Um, but when I first moved down here, was certainly yearning for more day. The retailers um, and the restaurants were yearning for more daytime traffic, um, you know, maybe a little less entertainment um, and to have some worker bees down here, which they had you. So um, fantastic. Thank you. All right. So, uh, Mahmoud, how can people connect with you directly and with Blue Core? Well, uh, so BlueCore is at BlueCore.com, and my email is m, the letter m, at BlueCore.com. Uh, I was able to get the letter m at BlueCore.com because my first name can be a challenge to spell, uh, and that made it a little bit easier for everyone. That's that's just smart consumer experience right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mahmoud Aram, the CTO and co-founder of BlueCore, uh, congratulations on everything you guys have accomplished so far. Really smart with your D2C think tank there. And, uh, and uh, I hope that uh, more and more of the world gets to know who you guys are. You're, you're certainly having an impact. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for your time. That's it for this episode of Retail is Your Business, everybody. I'm so happy we were along for the ride. Uh, until next time for Rebecca Fitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Rebecca. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Retail is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.